In this week's episode, we're going deep into some very heavy topics, both political and moral, with some brand new indie titles. Look, we're not all fart jokes, right? It's all happening now on Cover B. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Cover B. Welcome to Cover B. I hope everybody is having a good weekend. Hell yeah. I hope everybody had a good week. We are currently in the thick of rain. Oh, Blech. yeah. Yeah, it's another rainy weekend for us. Blech. So. But that's okay, because rain is the perfect time to read some comics. That is true. And we have some to provide. Yeah. It's a pretty heavy week this week, but we've narrowed it down to a few that we want to talk about. But we'll definitely have an honorable mentions coming out, because there were ones that we just didn't have enough to say on the podcast, but we wanted to talk about anyway. So, yes, exactly. Uh, so look out for that. Number one, uh, first one that we want to talk about is Phantom on the Scan. Number one, this is out of Aftershock. It's another Cullen Bunn horror title. Um, this one focuses on a gentleman who, due to some sort of trauma, has unlocked psychic-esque abilities, psychic-ish yeah. type stuff. Um, that are somehow connected to this ghostly child that follows him around. Um, that's sort of the thrust of this whole book is that uh, it's Colin Bunn playing with what makes psychic abilities and attaching trauma and these like ghosts of our past to psychic abilities. Anyway, this gentleman finds out that uh, bad things are happening to psychics and so he reaches out to a cadre of other psychics to be like yo we need to figure out what's happening and that's the where the book's gonna go from there so. <laughs> yeah so one of the things I like about this book is that Cullen Bunn literally does not care what genre of horror he's in he's gonna go ham with it um, I I have watched or read a million different types of Cullen Bunn horror books, I feel like, at this point, and they're all different, and they all have very different focuses. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not like Cullen has, like, obviously there's a lot of horror, but it's not like Cullen has a niche that he, like, stays to. Like, it's not, it's not all ghost stories, or, like, all creature features, or, like, all sci-fi. Like, it doesn't matter what the subgenre of horror it is mm -hmm. he's gonna put two feet in it and splash a boot <laughs> and that's what he's doing with this one this one's really cool it's got like kind of a it it almost feels like there's gonna be some undercurrent of sci-fi-ness there's like some creaturey stuff happening there's some specter ghostly stuff happening there's psychic stuff happening there's yeah. a lot going on but it all still feels very cohesive that's what i like about cullen bunn's horror stuff is uh like you hit on exactly what i like about it is in addition to often taking advantage of like of horror tropes and reimagining them or restructuring them in some way uh he also just really blends the line uh, and he gets artists who really help blend that line of, uh, you know, is this supernatural? Is it science-based? Is it something else? Is it interdimensional? Is it eldritch? You know what I mean? Like, he, alien, like Yeah, he, he blends that line of, it, it's not just like outwardly like, oh, stuff's happening. Look, demons, very obvious demons. He's His stuff is always a bit more like, unique in its own way yeah. and in its own sort of aesthetic and how it works and how it functions um 
And that's cool. I like that. I you agree. Know? I think it has to do with the fact that he has done so very much horror in his repertoire that at this point, I feel like he's just, he, he's mastered all of the different pieces, parts that go into a horror story. And so he doesn't hesitate to mix and match where he sees fit. Like, he's not afraid to put spectery stuff with psychic stuff because, hey, no, that works. Or like, you know, creature feature stuff with with this other thing like mm -hmm. things that don't necessarily usually complement each other in the trope world he makes work and i think that's really really cool yeah uh moving on next one is spider-man spider shadow number one this is a new mini series under what looks to be potentially a new imprint for um marvel i mean the what if stories aren't new necessarily but they for most of their iterations, they were individual titles, but kind of looks like they're doing it as an imprint now because I noticed this one has a little what if logo on it, but it's its own sort of mini series. So maybe we'll see more minis coming out uh, in the what if category. But for those who don't know, what ifs are exactly what they sound like. Uh, they're what if this thing happened. And effectively, for the most part, most of them in the past have literally been like Marvel, what if? spider-man joined the fantastic four you know punisher had killed spider-man or something like that um and that was just the title of the issue uh for this one it's spider-man spider-man shadow and it's effectively what if spider-man became venom so it goes back to when spider-man had the black suit um it's right around the time he started to get tired of it and was well, I guess it's more around the time he was just getting used to it. Uh, it's right around the time Reed Richards analyzed it and everything like that. So it's still pretty early on uh, in his black suitness. But effectively, it's it's taking a look at this series is taking a look at what if Spider-Man didn't fight the kind of anger and negative emotions that the suit made him feel and instead open his mind to it, thus bringing in the Venom, you know, we are Venom kind of thing. Uh, and what if he just went full-on alien uh, anti-hero monster thing? Uh, this is written, like I said, by Chip Zdarsky, so this is another Chips Ahoy episode. Um, <laughs> everybody on. Toot, toot. toot. Uh, <laughs> and damn it, Chip, don't make me love you. Oh, he already do-do. Yeah. So I know I have talked about this before, but I'm going to do it again. So there it is. Chip Starsky understands Spider-Man more than any other mm -hmm. writer at Marvel right now. Mm -hmm. Period. I'm saying it. There it is. I laid it down on the table. Super thick. So I have always admired Chip's iterations, we'll call them, of Spider-Man from one of my very first... Uh, forays with his spidey which was when he would consistently make fun of tease and debase spider-man in howard the duck mm -hmm. that spidey was hilarious yeah, and i always great. thought it was just super silly that like he just tore that poor boy apart and made him like super emo and hilarious and then they started just like throwing random spider-man minis at chip and i thought that was really funny well, then now he's also on Daredevil and they recently he recently um, 
had Spider-Man actually admit, which, fun fact, he just doesn't care about changing canon, and he did it, haha, Spidey has killed a man. Oh, damn. Accidentally, in Europe, a long time ago, he was doing, trying to save people, and accidentally killed, like, a thug, and part of the reason why he's been so hostile toward Daredevil, who accidentally just did the same damn thing and is Mm -hmm. now in prison for it um part of the reason why he was so hostile toward him was because of his own guilt yeah and so they had like a heart like a heart to heart on like a rooftop and it was like emotional and stuff but it's just so interesting to me because i feel like chip is one of the few people of the spider-man writers at marvel who isn't afraid to look at spider-man and be like wow our our big money maker, our our big brand bolsterer, Spidey, is not flawless. Mm-hmm. Has lots of issues. Is human. Goes through a lot of stuff, and it sucks. And maybe we should let him be a person instead of this like boy next door, always looking to do the right thing at the right time. Like he's a flawed dude. Mm-hmm. And Chip just let Spidey be flawed. And what I love about this particular book is that Chip took Spidey and made it absolutely 100% believable that he would go through with becoming Venom. Mm-hmm. 100%. He triggered the right buttons. He used the right type of dialogue. He rationalized things. We see like rationalizations in in Peter's head of why things are okay or why he's mm-hmm. doing something. And they all perfectly make sense. Yeah. And, you know, this is not... It, it's funny to me because I kind of went in this book. I was excited because it was Chip. But it was also a little like, eh. Because, uh, I mean, this is not a concept we haven't seen. Mm-hmm. Technically, uh, you know, Spider-Man holding on to the alien suit has been done before. Spider-Man being more intense, more aggressive has been done before multiple mm-hmm. times. Um, a superhero coming to the conclusion that, man, these bad guys are just going to go to jail and then come back and hurt people. And if I just killed them, I, you know, would be done with this is not a concept that hasn't been done before. Mm -hmm. All these things compounded and specifically focusing in on Venom as a character, which they eke into a little bit in this first issue, and I think they're going to go into more uh, because this first issue was more of the setup and the reveal of, uh, you know, spider Venom. Um, You know, the Venom character itself, I think this could be a really interesting character piece for (laughs) Spider-Man as a character. and Venom as a character and that whole time period of storytelling and whatnot. Um, and yeah, it, it just worked like chip did a really good job balancing it out. It kind of met the beats that predictably it was going to, right. but you know, when you have this story, you have to get hero from point a to point B in a way that people can understand um and believe and believe and you know that's going to be a bit predictable in how you get there you know what i mean like it's gonna it's gonna make sense um but i'm excited to see it keep going and like t said like chip really gets the like balance of inner monologue and action and quippiness and interacting with the people around him and how peter parker and spider-man in general are 
really like it's more than just Pete and Spidey. It's Spidey in this certain situation, Spidey dealing with these things. It's Pete's inner monologue. It's Pete dealing with Mary Jane. It's Pete dealing with Aunt May. Like they're all kind of different personalities and different alter egos that Peter puts up yep. in their own kind of way. Absolutely. Um, and he's because that's, you know, the the original Peter Parker. That was what they wanted out of him. That was his whole thing was that he's juggling all these different things on top of being a superhero and when you're juggling a bunch of different things, you're not giving the same amount of energy to everything else. And I think, you know, Chip does a really good job of giving us a very like, oh, God, now I got to take care of this. Now I got to take oh, this person's, you know, it's it's a Peter Parker that's riddled with anxiety, you yeah. know, and yeah. I, I think uh, that comes across really, really well. There's also one feature in this book that struck me kind of significantly that i i know has been done in other books but i've never seen it done in the way that chip does it in this in this issue is i don't want to give everything away but at some point um peter unmasks a villain and in doing so the villain is just completely startled by the scenario and looks at him and goes but but you're not playing the game and it's so interesting and kind of poignant because it it leads into this like th this thought of there's this unspoken rule that I don't unmask you, you don't unmask me. We'll continue to do this dance. Mm. You don't hurt people. I get in trouble. I go to jail. I get out of jail, and we do the whole thing over again. It's like a big circle, and you have to play by the rules. And in this scenario, he's not playing by the rules, but it's. It's crime and heroism. Yeah. How are there rules of engagement to crime and heroism? Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, it's it's a bizarre thing to think about. But in all of these books and in all of this behavior, like, that's true. You know, like you wear a mask, you keep the mask on and they keep their mask on. And that's just how it is. That's how it's done. So to unmask a criminal after you've caught him is like completely breaking the system. Mm hmm. And I just thought that was such a cool thing because it's yeah. such a little thing. And just the way he phrased it, like, you're not playing the game. Like, this is a game, especially for Spider-Man, who's notoriously not going to kill other people. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, he's not a Punisher type that's going to put you in the ground so that you stop going to jail. Yeah. He's, he's just, it's that circle. It's that dance. I think it's an interesting take on Venom, too, because when you look at, when you look at Venom's origin, you know, Venom was attached to Eddie Brock, who was just filled with rage over what Peter Parker did to his career and what happened to him. Um, and so Venom in his onset uh, was a creature of just mad with rage. He was just mad with rage. And in this book, we see the Venom bits start to eke in whenever Peter feels anger towards the whole song and dance and these rules of engagement and stuff like that. But it's less a rage and more like a exhausted frustration. Yeah. And so this is going to be a completely, if we're talking about a symbiote, you know, give and take kind of thing, a psychic connection kind of thing. This is going to be a very different Venom in and of itself because it's going to be one not bred out of this like fiery, vengeful rage. And instead out of just a 
general like exasperation exasperation with the system yep just like done and that's again you know we've seen superheroes do the whole like man if i just killed people this would be a lot easier as an example we'll bring up injustice superman right but that again was a vengeful rage it was joker killed lois time to kill joker this that worked out well let me just do that to everybody you know what i mean and but we haven't really seen that out of just like look i don't I don't have time for this. It's like this is dumb <laughs> what we're doing. You know what I mean? I don't want to like, play games anymore. I want to be done. I want to just stop the bad guys. Yeah, let me just go full menace and just kill people, you know? Yeah. Because I don't have time to do this song and dance. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's just annoying and frustrating. Yeah. You know. And so it'll be interesting to see. I'm excited to see where this one goes. Me too. Absolutely. Um next up we're going to talk about one that has popped up a bunch in ads and things like that it's been pretty hyped from image uh this is home number one this is written by julio anta with art by anna Weisscheck, which i think i got right if i know my pronunciation of things correctly but if i didn't check check maybe wise check i don't know um Sorry if I messed it up. Uh, <laughs> Home is an important book. Yes. Um, it talks about some important subjects, namely the recent decisions by a recent president uh, pertaining to uh, immigration. Uh, that's basically the summary. Uh, I don't want to give away too much because I, you know, talking too much about the plot. And honestly, there's not in this first issue, there's not a lot of plot. We follow a mother and her son as they are trying to seek asylum in the United States and then being met instead with, you know, instead of being met with processing and an eventual connection and being handed off to her sister, sister-in-law, um, to a family member in the country they instead are met with new regulations stricter regulations they were separated from one another uh and it's all i don't honestly have to talk about the plot too much because it's all stuff that it's stories we've heard time and time again it's stories that you can hear with a quick google um it's stories that are reported on it's stories that are relatable and it's stories that are unfortunate and heinous um, I recommend picking up this book. I think, you know, if you're politically minded one way or another, this is worth picking up because this is someone's perspective on this situation, whether you side with him or you don't. Personally, I, I feel one way or another. Um, but I don't... I was wary about talking about this one, and I was also wary about not talking about this one because I believe in and of itself it's an important book. It's, a, it's somebody willing to publish a book set around events that are happening today. I don't know if it's very well done. There's elements of it that I think... I, I wish it had gone less fantastic, to be honest. I, I wish it had stuck more, grounded more in reality because I worry about the fantastic elements taking too much away from the story. Right. That is the, the commentary that is needed. I'm worried is going to be washed out by the fantastic elements. It's just honestly my, 
my personal opinion. I, I feel like when you handle these sorts of things and you turn it into something too fantastic and too, you know, superhero-y, it can just get kind of like washed out. And the, the message can get a little bit like hard to hear over the flashy, you know, superpowers and things like that. And that's just my opinion, honestly. I, um, you know, from a storytelling perspective, you know, the pacing is rushed at times. Um, it's a bit muddy in times of, you know, how fast it wants to move through certain things. Uh, the art is good. I like the artist. I don't know if the art fits the tone of the book, which at other times, again, is is kind of rough. Um but I mean, when you're dealing with a book that is so heavily steeped in racial injustice and the mistreatment of people in this country, uh, it's good to, you know, you can look past certain things. But like I said, I'm just worried that the superhero element of it is going to make it too much of a... I don't know, just too much of a cartoon that it'll wash out what's trying to be said, what's trying to be told in the pages of the book. I completely agree. I think this is an important book, but I think that the fantastical parts of it hinder it explicitly because of the pacing. I feel like the book starts really strong and I feel like up until like a really like particular midpoint, it's it's really got its footing and then I feel like it was so concerned about getting to the last page getting to the reveal mm -hmm. to make mm -hmm. sure that it grasps people for issue number two that I feel like there's a whole chunk of commentary and important points and important things that should have deserved maybe a little more time that yeah. kind of gets skimmed through so that they can get to the the fancy expect the exciting part I, at the end. Yeah, I personally was more excited about this book when I first heard about it because I wasn't aware that it was going to deal with superpowers in any way. Agreed. Um I was happy that somebody was writing about that a, you know, comic from a big company was coming out that was going to focus on recent injustices that our government approved. Um but then I don't I don't know I I I maybe I'm just fatigued with superhero stuff <laughs> like maybe Which is at this entirely point possible. maybe at this point it's just a personal fatigue I don't know and I in saying this I don't want to shy people away from this because I think if that's your certain cup of tea that you should definitely read this book it's it's going to have a lot of valid points to make it's not an easy book to read especially if you've kept up on the news about this topic uh, about the you know ice processing centers and people being separated from their families and their children and just it's just wrong it's not good stuff um and if you've been keeping up on that then this is not an easy read um and again you know i would like to say to people that maybe feel differently about that whole situation also consider giving this one a read because that's how you become a better person um is by understanding where everyone sits on both sides of arguments. Yep, um, absolutely. But I don't know. I, I'm just, I'm concerned about an element of this. You know, I, I would like the writer to know 
that I appreciate what they're trying to do. I appreciate the message that they have, but I'm worried going into issue two and so forth that it's just going to devolve into another like, look, I'm a kid with powers kind of book. It's kind of like two different story ideas yeah. that smush to one, and it just it makes me worried that the impact of one or both individualized stories because you know the discussion mm-hmm. of the the family situation but also the discussion of you know a non-white superhero i'm worried that both of those things are going to get diluted by each other yeah and you don't want that because both things are good and necessary True. to talk about yeah so agreed wrapping it up here we're going to talk about duplicant number one this is from uh second sight press second sight publishing i can't remember which one it is second sight uh this is written by carla nappy with art by mariana strakowska which i think i nailed that one um i would like to say that i nailed that one um this effectively takes a look at a world where there is a plague shocker um a pandemic wow uh, where <laughs> people's organs are failing. That's crazy. And the result is that a company has developed a form of cloning uh, that allows them to clone organs for people as their organs randomly fail. So you basically are just walking around one day and one of your organs is like, I'm done, bro. Well, this company has developed a way to basically 3D print or rapid clone you new organs. Uh, that company was bought up by a big medical corporation, shocker, uh, and the corporation has decided to make the cost of said uh, said duplicate organs uh, so exorbitantly high that people can hardly afford them. Wow, who, who would have thought? Crazy. Um, crazy idea. Crazy concept. This is an absolute crazy concept that <laughs> never could happen in today's society. Um, as such, people who receive this treatment are basically pushed into indentured servitude, uh, until they pay off their, their, their lives are auctioned off in an auction house and they have to work off their, uh, debt, their debt. No, this was not written by Elon Musk. (laughs) (laughs) This looks at that situation like it's a bad thing. Um, yeah, it was it's an interesting concept and it's it's unfortunately one that feels possible in the way today's market and world works, especially with medical stuff. Uh yeah, what'd you think, Dee? So I thought it was a really cool concept. My only issue with this book is that I feel like it's taking on too many evils at once. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. too much happening yep. in the book. And I all of the things that it talks about need to be talked about. I mean, you've got everything from the healthcare system to corporate monopolization to, you know, class warfare to um, sexual assault to, yeah. like, everything. There, Everything that's bad is in yeah. this book. Yes. But the problem with that is that, no, kind of like in the last one, nothing gets its due time. Yeah. Like... You're, I don't know what I'm supposed to be more mad at. What, which is the main problem? What is the, what Mm -hmm. is the effective, like, 
like under overarching villain that I'm supposed to be the most mad about? Is it the corporation that's causing all of these things? Is it this healthcare system that's allowing this to happen? Is it this particular corporate dude who's doing horrible things to this woman? Like, and then at the end of the book, I don't even think we're going to talk about her anymore. Yeah. Like there's too much. It felt too heavy handed. It felt like I want to take on every bad thing that I have a feeling about at once. And that's not, to me, the most effective storytelling. Yeah. I'm supposed to have there's, opinions. I'm supposed to have emotions. And you're just putting me all over the place. There's <laughs> a story here about a uh, very bright, very compassionate scientist doctor and him waging a war against Big Pharma. However, in order to get there, we had to follow a different character. And... Like I said, I like the concepts, I like the world, and I'm excited about that story. That, yeah. that going up against these medical corporations, trying to bring medicine back to the people, which is what medicine should be about, and making a lot of commentary about like how effed up medicine, privatized medicine can be. Because it can. I'm sorry if you don't like to hear that. It's not great. No. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. I think... um. I, I don't know if I've said this on the podcast, but this is an opinion I hold really, really dear. And I'm, I open it the same way that I always open it. Rape and sexual assault are bad. Yes. They are bad. They're horrible. They are bad. The people who do them should be punished. The people who do them should be looked down upon and shamed. People who think about doing them or like the concept of doing them are equally at fault. Sexual assault and rape is bad is bad. Doesn't matter who you're doing it to, when you do it, how you do it is bad. Good lord writers, we have to stop using that as a device to vilify people. Effectively, it's used in this book to vilify the system. Yeah. It's like we have here we're presented with a lawyer and she's ready to go, ready to do the bar exam and then she gets hit my lungs. Oh, they stop working. Yeah. Now she's a duplicate, she gets her life auctioned off. It would have been equally as embarrassing or, you know, pulled out as much pathos if she was forced to go work sanitation, if she was forced to work for somebody who has completely different political beliefs and demeans her all the time. She goes and gets put into a sweatshop type environment. She has to go work for, you know, someone we've established as a rival or someone, maybe her, maybe her firm that she's working for that she's trying to become partner with is in a desperate legal battle with some sort of corporation. And that's who bought her thing. And Oh my God, now I'm working for the enemy. Like there's a lot of ways you could have vilified this system. Yep. You didn't have to sell her off as an escort. I get it. It's bad. It's, it's, heinous. I didn't like it. I didn't like watching it, you know, but that's something everybody can relate to. We don't want to watch that shit. And the more, the more, the more I get, I get so frustrated. I watch a lot of horror movies. And this is constantly happening in horror movies. It's, it's like, I need to make this guy into a scumbag. How do I do that? Make him a rapist. The more we use that as a device, it's it's going to start having the opposite effect. Sympathy fatigue. You You get fatigued having to hear about it. You get less shocked when you do hear about Desensitization. it. Desensitization. It's an actual thing that occurs. Just look at American movie violence 
and the Americans' youth outlook on gore and violence. It's there. It's a real thing that happens. So we have to stop, as writers, we have to stop using sexual assault and rape as a device by which we purely want to vilify something. Especially in this book. If it's, because I don't even think the the guy did it is the primary villain or going to be that big of a yeah. part of the book moving forward. If it's if it's the core and that's why I say it was used strictly to vilify the system. Look yeah. at this system that would sell her into sex slavery. And yes, that's terrible. But if that's not the core tenet of your book, if that's not or your play or your movie or your video game if that's not the core story if that's not the core message you want to give is like look at how bad sexual assault is you can't just use it as a throwaway device because you're doing nothing but harming the argument you're trying to make if you're even making an argument yeah or if you're just trying to drum up that it's it's simplistic it's a it's the jump scare of negative emotions yeah i want someone to hate this thing sexual assault and rape and it's it's you know jump scares are scary they get your heart going they make you feel scared of things sometimes they might even leave you looking over your shoulders and stuff but they're cheap they're cheap and if and you, if you do experience them enough, enough of yep. them you don't react to them anymore and that's what this is if you're not trying to make a longer running statement on sexual assault rape uh, molestation pedophilia whatever it might be if you're not trying to make a commentary on those you can't just use it as a shock jock throwaway device to try to like drum up interest in in your thing it's super flippant and it it's a problem and you know i'm not knocking the writer directly of this this is an ongoing problem with a lot of writers even big writers do this yep and it's it's just something we have to get away from and that said this book is a great concept, like I said. It's got a really good story kind of in the wings. It was an interesting way of handling a first issue, uh, but I'm into it. I'm here for it. And the the dialogue, the pacing, the writing, it was well done in this book. That's just my biggest major qualm is that there's really no point to have that element in this book, aside from a cheap way to vilify the system. And we we got to move away from that. We yep. gotta get away from doing that. The more you become fatigued from hearing it in media, the more you're going to be fatigued from hearing it in real life. And that hurts actual victims and people who are trying to change the system and make things better and find justice for those who have actually in the real world been wronged. Yep. If you're if you're sick of hearing the story in a book or on a, in a movie or whatever, you're going to be less likely to listen to someone in real life. Yep. And that is not okay. But Dialing it back, duplicate, the good. The art is good, the concept's good, it's very relatable, and it has a really good message to tell. And I'm excited to see where that message goes, because at the end of the day, we are very much in a dangerous system where a few, you know, a few well-funded organizations and corporations can really decide the fate of a lot of people Mm -hmm. really fast. Yep. And, you know, in today's world where everyone's scrambling to get vaccines and everyone's rolling around to get vaccines, it's not unreasonable to think of a world where the corporations all went, okay, we have vaccines. That'll be $350. Yeah. 
you know, and it's very likely that we're going to be dealing with COVID and dealing with booster shots and dealing with treatments and dealing with new strands for a long, long, long time. Mm -hmm. And we got to be aware of that kind of stuff. And we got to hold companies accountable if they pull crap like that. Yep. It's not just talk to people. If you think I'm being crazy and I'm being a crazy conspiracy theorist, talk to people who have to get insulin regularly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> talk to people who are struggling with HIV and AIDS. Talk to those people. Understand what they have to go through. Yep. What hoops they have to jump through with insurance and with the drug companies and all of that. Uh, and then come back to talk to me about how a pandemic where organs fail randomly couldn't be monetized by the wrong people. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's going to do it for us today. On that happy, <laughs> on that, that uplifting you're note. Super positive. Uh, if you want more Cover B, you can find us on our website, coverbpodcast.com. We've got past episodes, uh, as well as our special bonus episodes, like Real Extra and Graphic Novelties, where we do reviews of movies and graphic novels and all sorts of stuff. Yeah. You can also find us on social media. We are on Facebook and Twitter at Cover B Podcast. We are also on Instagram and the TikTok. Yes, I am on the Tiki Talks. Um, I am... <laughs> Trying to understand what the kids see about it. <laughs> uh, but it is lit, y'all. Oh, no. You should check it out, my guy. Um, no cap, it is the best darn TikTok <laughs> in the world. I have no affiliation with him and his horrible <laughs> linguistic behavior. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of funny because I feel like our generation is it's like previous generations would be like hello my fellow kids and like try to relate and I feel like millennials are like dude when we become uncool that's gonna be so fun right like I'm ready make me uncool I mean, I'm, I'm cool in my uncoolness <laughs> I'm already uncool you can pry my skinny jeans out of my cold dead hands okay yeah yeah my side yeah. part. You want to put this head, this round ass face with a center part? Y'all don't know. Y'all wrong. Cute. I mean, if 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 youngsters want to wear flare jeans, they're just gonna go through the same thing we went through. They think skinny jeans aren't, and like straight leg jeans aren't out of like facility as opposed to style. You tried walking around with baggy jeans or like flare jeans. It sucks. It rains, those are ruined. It's the Congratulations. Worst. It's so terrible. It rains, and then you've got wetness all the way up your Ugh. leg because your freaking cuffs are just flopping around all over the place. They anyway. Don't fit into boots. Ugh. Anyway, this is our outro, if you could believe it. <laughs> After an episode of me ranting angrily about things and <laughs> really just laying down the political poll that I've avoided. <laughs> for a hundred something episodes um it's fine <laughs> chip sadarsky if you want to retweet us that would be cool i guess yeah we'd appreciate we that. talked about you in this episode chips ahoy toot toot, toot. If you want more episodes of Cover B, check us out on coverbpodcast.com check us out on social media blah 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 we have merch We'd appreciate it if you bought some. Yeah. 
hoodies and stuff. Coming Dope. up here pretty soon, we might have another Powered Gaming. We haven't done one of those in a while, and we're excited yeah. to do it. So it's true. until then or next week, we will catch y'all back here for more episodes of, of Cover, Cover B. B. Bye, fam.